0: Hi,
1: I'm Kelly Harlock and I'm Sasha Kelly and you're listening to another episode of That Classical Podcast.
0: Indeed so. Welcome everybody, welcome back. Today we are going to go, we're heading to France today uh, for a delicious croissant, uh, some lovely cheese and some absolutely stunning music. Chile, uh, uh, Trébian. Yeah, wee, wee. Uh So, <laughs> Sasha, I think you're going to start us off today. And who are we going to talk about? I'm going to talk about Massonet, Jules Massonet. I actually know absolutely nothing about Massonet, so this is going to be absolutely great. That's uh, the best
1: kind of episode. That's I
0: know, the, I totally that's agree. the best time. <laughs> Just learning together, guys, learning together. Okay, Ooh. are you ready for oh, the 60-second biography? Think, you know what? I think so. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs>
1: Jules Massonet was born on the 12th of May 1842 at Montau in loire His dad was a metal worker and his mom was a talented amateur musician who gave little Jules his first piano lessons. The family moved to Paris and Massenet started studying at the Paris Conservatoire under another successful composer, Ambrose Thomas. There were a few years of family problems. He stopped studying for a while, but he came back and he won the top piano prize. They no longer had a lot of money, so Jules picked up some percussion instruments, got a casual job in the theatre orchestra. Most people said for him to get an organ job in a church. Massonet was like, nah. He tried working as a piano accompanist and that's how he met Berlioz and Wagner, who became his musical heroes dubious choices in my opinion he won the prix de rome that thing again and went to rome to hang out and he then came back to paris he got a publisher he got some contracts which meant they had enough money to marry the lover's life who he met in rome but he was too poor there was a war his life went on hold for a few years and then he hit his stride he woke up at 4 a.m every day he wrote till noon he was a bit of a workaholic he wrote 30 operas all off he was a chevalier he beat sansons he was a professor at the conservatoire um, he became a really great teacher he taught chanson hans campotier he wrote operas taught hung out for the rest his life he died in 1912 of stomach cancer and there was no music played at his private funeral
0: oh that was a little that was a little extra that was a tidbit right at the end it was yeah. just over a minute I'll allow it um, when you say he beat Sansos like physically I definitely like <laughs> I, I just panicked and I just like spat
1: out information Kelly what did he be at that tell me more so there was a vacancy at this um thing called the legion of um something 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 Um, but basically it was just like an institution and there was one spot for like a professor of music and when that vacancy came up Saint-Saëns and Massadet were in the final two spots for it and Sansons was much older than Massonet right and um Massonet got the job over him and then Massonet wrote him a letter being like I'm really sorry and um (laughs) sorry I'm so good (laughs) yeah he was like I'm really sorry like they chose the wrong person and Camille Sansons wrote back a letter saying yeah they did (laughs) so it was like a bit of French attitude there but um yeah yeah basically you know, his early life—he had like the regular struggles to get on the scene. But once he like hit his stride and started becoming popular, he was a bit like Rossini. Like he had a very successful career and like yeah. didn't really have that much trouble. Actually, I
0: was gonna so. say of like of the si- all the sixty seconds we've we've spoken about. It, there's not, a, there doesn't sound like there's a lot of drama and intrigue in his life. No, you know, not, not really, really at all. all. And it's really amazing because now we don't think of
1: him as uh, one of the big names. I was going to
0: say, I was going to say like 30 operas, and actually, how yeah. many do we really <laughs> like enjoy exactly? Today? Well, they Probably say like
1: only two are the ones yeah. that are like now played. Um, exactly. And he did write a piano concerto I think which was like he wrote it at university and then he left it alone and he revisited it in his later life and Mm -hmm. also they say that because he was a percussionist in the pit orchestras like when he was studying that's how he like became familiar with what worked on stage and Mm. his nickname was um Little Guno because that was the (laughs) that was like the composer Charles, Charles yeah yeah because yeah, yeah, yeah. that was the composer who was really super famous when he was studying and basically that's all they played while he was working in the pit so they're like right. the french society thought of him as like guno the second kind of thing Gounod so, the second
0: what a yeah title. well what, yeah. what are we
1: gonna hear first i'm so excited Ooh, what should we hear first i think we should hear the meditation from thais first let's Delight. do that mm-hmm. yeah so you'll probably recognize this it's very very famous I think even if you have no idea and you're like um just getting into classical music I'd I'd say that like I can't think of where it's one of those pieces that like I can't tell you the first time I heard it because I've heard it so much right and it's it's
0: played on the radio all the time it's probably been in films and like you know probably an advert it's really it's just that like classic relaxing Exactly. exactly classical vibe isn't it
1: so it's a violin solo with orchestral accompaniment and actually it's from an opera and it's from an opera that is really quite weird so massonet had this really common theme and that lots of his operas he wrote an opera about cleopatra he wrote um manon he wrote sandrion which is like cinderella he wrote Verter, and his common theme is usually a damsel in distress kind of oh. character oh um he was really famous for that and that's actually because in french society his biggest fans were women so he like tapped oh. into this weird okay psychology like thing, a and chick people loved it opera. yeah he was like the chick flick opera guy <laughs> okay cool. um Great. so thais is basically the story of these two guys and one of them is sleeping with this woman who's um a prostitute basically and the other guy is like oh that's really bad you shouldn't be a prostitute I'm gonna convert you to Christianity right. oh that's good and of him. then yeah yeah so he's like <laughs> come with he meets her and he's like stop sleeping with my mate um mm. I'm gonna take you to a convent and you're gonna realize that this has been really bad and you should turn to God and then of course because you couldn't see this coming, Kelly. In the second act, it turns out that actually, like the whole reason he did this is because he actually really fancied her. And so basically he gets her, she's like, no, I don't want to be a nun. I don't want to go to a convent. And then she meditates, sets her house on fire and decides that, yes, she will join the convent. And so Mm. like the next act is them walking through the desert and they get to the convent and she goes in and then when she goes into the convent he suddenly realizes that he's in love with her and he leaves and then he goes a bit insane and is like oh I'm obsessed with her and he goes back to the convent and in the meantime I don't know how but she's dying and she's like nah you're right I'm glad I'm here but thank you and then she
0: dies and he's upset. It's a
1: very strange... <laughs>
0: nah, you're right. I wish She's this like- had been set in Australia.
1: That sounds... Brilliant. Yeah, nah, but... Yeah, so basically the whole story is about him, like, lying to himself about how much he fancies her. Her deciding that she huh. is going to change to Christianity and, like renounces her old life, burns her yeah. house down, goes to a convent, but then yeah. dies of consumption. Because isn't that what they all die of? They consumption? always do. Sad but true. Exactly. And then, okay. um, oh, and it's set in Egypt at the end right. of the 4th century. So I was going to
0: ask about the desert and the nunnery, and then I didn't, and I just didn't understand how it fit together. But that's great. Yeah, Yay. so basically... Um, The meditation from
1: Thais comes in at the end of, I think it's like, I mean, I think it's act two, honestly, it's not going to make a difference to you listening to it now, but basically imagine this really beautiful soprano. Okay. Okay meditating and maybe the director is somehow symbolizing like a giant fire behind her because it's supposed to happen while like she's just set her house on fire so i think like from a staging perspective it could be really cool It might be an unfair question, Kelly, because I think I know the answer. But have you heard that before?
0: <laughs> I am. <laughs> you know, I've heard that before a thousand times. Uh, no, but it's it's just like the first time. No, it's lovely. Like I I do have a lot of time for that piece in my in my head though, and like especially since I recently discovered he wrote thirty uh, operas. Do you think Massonet would be sad today to know that the only thing that really survived from Thais like in in performing history (laughs) is a scene uh, change? It's a scene (laughs) change. And also, I I, in all the thousands of times I've heard this piece, I never knew her house was burning down (laughs) to the ground behind her and she was dying of consumption. I had not a clue. And now it's totally it's made it really weird and like ironic and strange, but in, it's, a, in
1: a kind of good way. I've got to say, like, I've only set my kitchen on fire once. <laughs> true story. Meditating. And I was not meditating at the time. And I did not have the reaction that meditation was the best answer. <laughs> Just so, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's quite an esoteric, like, mm. opera. It's I've I've seen it in concert version once and I had no clue what was going on. At all. Um, I mean, there's no staging, but I remember when she was walking through the desert. I say that in quotation marks. They like it was in this big hall. It was in um, Cadogan Hall in yeah near Sloan Square. And like they just had her walk around like the second just floor and it was sand just,
0: at yeah it was really like
1: <laughs> why yeah. is she walking and now I'm reading about it I'm like oh okay that makes sense but <laughs> how did they did they make the fire I like, think appear? they had lighting because it was like concert fashion <laughs> so they don't really have yeah. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of stuff happening so yeah yeah and then I read the synopsis and I'm like I still have no idea what's going
0: on I'm but you know about. a lot of opera is like that a lot so of operas most, like that. I would that. say ninety percent of operas like that, so this isn't surprising. <laughs> but I mean, I I think though, like if it is a, a really stunning piece, like if you oh, maybe yeah. take it out of context, it's such a it's such a be- beautiful piece of music. So I highly recommend everyone to listen to the whole thing. Right? Yeah, absolutely. That classical podcast.
1: So. It might surprise you, Kelly, but with a composer who is known for his opera writing, um, I'm picking another operatic piece (laughs) for the second, but I'm not picking a scene change this time. I'm picking an a specific aria from is anything on fire in this piece no nothing's on fire except Don't our me. protagonist's heart oh
0: stop it <laughs> i didn't even plan that that's great okay, that was just like
1: a little bit of banter S- um no such a cheese ball so i've picked the tenor aria from Verter. so it's spelt <laughs> werther if you see it yeah, written like, down, well, there's originals. Yeah, it looks like well, there's original, but yeah. you pronounce it verte. I'm just putting that out there because I know that pronunciation is one of those things that in classical music people lord over each other. Sure. It's not fair. There's no. lots of little weird rules, and exactly. I think that that really is unfair to people. But basically, we went and mm-hmm. saw this, didn't we? We did in some really great seats. If I oh, remember correctly, they were amazing. We um, right down there on the stools. Did you enjoy it, Kelly? Do you remember the story?
0: Did I? Did I? I. Do you know what? I. I'm gonna wait till you explain the story, and then I'll tell you whether I enjoyed it. How about that?
1: Okay, basically the storyline is that Vetta is a young poet. He's 23. Charlotte is a young woman. She's age 20 and she has a little sister called Sophie and there's another guy called Albert who is engaged to Charlotte. Basically, Vetta and his yeah, yeah. friend <laughs> turn up in the middle of winter yeah. and yeah. they just turn up at this house and he, like, watches Sophie and Charlotte from a distance and he thinks, oh, that Charlotte's nice, and then... Um, they get invited into the house and I think the guy travelling with Werther knows the family and for mm. some reason they all decide to go off to the ball. So they go off to the ball. At the ball, Vette and Charlotte fall in love. They dance once and <laughs> they look at each other longingly and they fall madly in love and they come back to the house and it's revealed that Albert... Who's been away for several years has just returned. And what you just find out is Charlotte promised her dying mother to marry Albert. And that was her mother's oh, yeah. dying wish. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, yeah. So Verte is like, I love you. <sighs> Charlotte goes, I love you too, but you know, I just met you. We've danced once. <laughs> We've
0: literally danced. For 20 <laughs> We've literally yeah, it's
1: hung out for half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> it might be a bit much. Also, my mum's dying wish was I married this Albert guy. He seems to have, have his stuff together. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, not sorry, not gonna marry you. And then we kind of like skip forward in time and Charlotte and Albert have been married for a little while and Vette turns up again and he's like, I still love you, Charlotte, which is also like a bit of a dick move. Like you really shouldn't do that when someone's no. been married for three months. Leave her alone. Leave, Leave her alone. alone. Um, he turns up and he's like, I still love you. And she's like, I am married and I am Christian. And like, here's this big aria about why <laughs> this is not okay please leave me alone and he's like okay but maybe we can be friends and she says that's cool i can be friends with you and then albert turns up and verta's like albert it's amazing that we're all friends i used to be in love with charlotte but now we're
0: friends friends that's an awkward awkward time Yeah. yeah and
1: albert's like you know poor albert he's like of course we're friends okay you're one of our (laughs) greatest friends oh my god (laughs) aren't we having the best time yeah okay and then i think i think i'm remembering this correctly it skips forward again to christmas Mm -hmm. and charlotte is like reading all these letters that Veta has been reading like sending her and that's the first time that you find out that charlotte's like really in love with Verta the whole time or up until then she's been yeah. like no 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 and that's I remember that's when you and I were like what is going on what? here <laughs> um and she goes oh I've been trying to re- forget him but I can't and then Verta turns up and he's like just tell me just tell me you're into me like please and Charlotte's like yeah okay I am but I'm married and we talked about this Ugh, and it can't yeah. happen. Yeah. And then Albert turns up and Albert's cottoned on to something going on now. And he goes, hang on. I think this Verta guy likes my wife. <laughs> um, nice one, Albert. Yeah. It took you like and five he, years. Exactly. Yeah. And then Charlotte's like, Verta, like you can't come back. Like this is not working. The friendship Go thing's away. not working. mm I need to stay married. I told my mom I'd be married to this Albert guy. Like, you just have to go. I'm sorry. You if you can't that? keep yeah. it in your pants, if you can't keep all your feelings. Get out of town. To yourself. Yeah. Leave me alone. And so then <laughs> Berthe like, turns, like, runs away and writes a letter to Charlotte that says, can I borrow Albert's pistols and sends them to a servant who then brings it in and Albert and Charlotte in the dining room. And Albert's like, no, you have to read the letter in front of both of us. Like it's not private. Like Charlotte can't read it in private. Just tell us what it says. And then, you know, servants like, well, you know, that just like gone missing in quotation marks and wants to borrow your pistols. And so then Charlotte's like, no, he's gonna (laughs) kill himself. Right. And Albert's like, you cannot go to him. And she runs away. And she turns up. Vette has shot himself, but not completely shot himself. Yeah, he's like dying. (sighs) Oh, God. And they sing together, and then he dies. And that's the end.
0: And that (laughs) aria or duet or whatever it is went on for about. (laughs) 20
1: minutes <laughs> that's i mean what yeah, i it's remember. like
0: a lot of blood loss but
1: not enough <laughs> to die quickly oh yeah. god yeah oh, so the piece we're going to listen to is pourquoi me réveiller mm-hmm. um and it's the tenor aria and it's the second time they get together so it's when charlotte's reading all those letters and they're like right. reminiscing and i mm. think i think someone out there will know properly but I think it's actually the libretto that he's singing is actually a poem and they're kind of talking about how when they like caught up they were like reciting poetry to each other and he says like like this one and he does it so it's actually not it doesn't translate as something that makes sense in the plot if that makes sense great um (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah It. I just I actually think it's like just a fantastic tenor aria. I really like it. It's one of my favorites. So um, it's really, you know, I was listening to a lot of recordings. It must be incredibly hard to sing because there's Hmm. quite a few very good singers who I don't think nail it. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So it must be, I mean, I know French is difficult anyway and Massonet was quite renowned for like writing Quite tricky stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, or maybe it's me just being fussy. Don't
0: know. No. But I'm sure it's (laughs) not. Who are we? Who's singing it this time? We're gonna hear Pav. So, what do you think of that? I mean, I love it. <laughs> like, oh, um, uh, wow, I'm actually speechless. I mm-hmm. obviously am obsessed with Pavarotti, and that was incredible. Couldn't understand a <laughs> word he was saying. <laughs> Also, I love, I love the Pav- Pavarotti like like needless oh, rolling. That yeah, por- <laughs> was really great. Um, <laughs> but that is so impressive. Like, yeah, I've, wow. Yeah,
1: it's incredible. I've got to like. I, it's not specific to the opera, but I do. I can't let it go without saying that Verter um, was actually based on Goethe's novel called The Sorrows of Young Verter. Mm -hmm. and it was so popular that men of the time used to wear the poet's signature outfit which was yellow pants and a bright blue coat and also because he kills himself at the end, um, the novel became so kind of like successful in Europe at the time that there was like this spate of young men killing themselves um to be like verter and it's still called that so if there is an incident of like many people in um relation to each other it's still called the verter effect after this particular piece yeah yeah so it's like a pretty dark side uh, element to it but um yeah when you I mean, I remember us talking about this. Like when you watch the opera, it is fairly like hard on the sleeve. Like it doesn't make a lot of sense in the sense of it's like ridiculous. how
0: quickly they it's fall in love. It's so dumb. It's so <laughs> dumb. And I, it's sorry. <laughs> like I, I love the music, but my God, it was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) And like, Martair was a creep. And the the really funny thing, and I know that, um, Sasha, we were talking about this because you overheard someone in the toilets in the ladies' loo saying that um, they'd really messed up in the opera because the guy who played Albert, uh, who was uh, the fiance and the husband, was way more attractive and nice looking than the guy playing Martair who was a very famous uh, tenor. Um, and it just made no sense because you were like, why on earth wouldn't she want to stay with Albert, <laughs> the young, attractive man? Uh, and it like, sh- she wouldn't want to go off with this kind of older kind of. Yeah, who keeps turning up and just
1: being like, but I love you, but I love you, but I
0: love you. And she's like, we spent 20 minutes together four years ago. danced (laughs) once, like, get over it. You're really creepy. Yeah, and so that's what makes it
1: make not a lot of sense at the the end where she goes, oh, actually, Actually, I'm in love with you as well. You go, what? You've been sitting on that one for a bit. Mm. Um, Just before we move on to whoever you're going to talk about. I've Mm -hmm. also got to say, if you want to like discover more, um, that Manon is another great opera. And Mm. I think, um, I definitely watched the Anna Netrebko, like Anna Netrebko plays Manon in the Met do like a screening online. And she is so good. And like talking of strong female characters, even though it's like quite tragic, she just like, does she's out there to get what she wants and it's Mm -hmm. excellent so I think um he definitely like found his niche and those are the two very like operas that are still in the canon today uh and Manon but Mm -hmm. he did like as I said he wrote 30 so
0: I'm gonna go I've got some listening to do listen to them all guys yeah (laughs) enjoy (laughs) did you know that that classical podcast has a patreon with tons of bonus content and behind the scenes goodies yes we do and you also get bonus playlists uh newsletters and behind the scenes news and views you also will get a massive thank you from us so we've got a few people to thank today first thank you to yana mikova alicia suzanne knoth ryan Analia setz Jonas bergendaal Montserrat aralanis Kaeva Boy Rainer Lodia and Johanna Gephard thank you so much everyone who supports us and if you want to know more about our Patreon page you can just head to our show notes and you can find all the info down there right so the composer I'm going to talk about is a chap called Francis Poulenc. Uh, and the inimitable Chris Bland mentioned Poulenc, I think, in one of our old Christmas episodes, actually, a couple of years ago. We spoke about his choral work, Magnum Mysterium, which is great. But since then, I have discovered the Pmeister meister uh, on my own terms. So I thought, <laughs> let's hear it for the boy. Let's hear about Francis Poulenc. Shall we do a 60 seconds? I think we should. Are you ready? I am. Francis Poulenc was born January 1899 in Paris. His dad was super religious. His mum was artifati, so he grew up with a healthy dose of both. Learned piano from the age of five, but his dad didn't want him to become a musician. Classic dad. And Poulenc ended up going to normal school. At age 16, he continued studying piano with a chap called Ricardo Vignez, who had a massive mustache and a sombrero and used to kick him in the shins when he didn't use the pedal properly. Amazing. He yeah. also introduced him to Satie, who would become his mentor and friend. Made his debut as a composer in 1917 with his Rhapsody Negre, fought in World War I for a bit, then wrote Trois Mouvements Perpetuels and became an international successor for his witty, light hearted works. Became one of Les Cis, a group of young hipster composers in Paris at the time. Composed his first. Ballet début in 1924 became total celebrity with cool new friends whom Sati hated. Drifted away from Sati. over the next few years. He wrote chamber music, more ballet, more songs and concertos. He was loving life. He was famous. He was talented. He was wealthy. But he was also coming to terms with his own sexuality and was wasn't openly gay, which sadly made him suffer from several bouts of depression throughout his life. 1936 rediscovered religion, found a new seriousness in his music, composed a mass, David Mata, and litanies Ten seconds. Fought again in World War II, but still managed to write bit of music. Post war, he fell out with a younger composers who called him uh, unprogressive and boring. Um, got more serious with choral music. 1950s continued to write songs in more ballet. Another opera hella wind sonatas right up until his death in 1963 of a heart attack
1: oh very good i gave you a few extra seconds because i could tell by the way you were speeding up that you're always done
0: (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much i appreciate Um, it so minute four well done that's that's poulon uh famously famously called half monk half naughty boy if anyone remembers (laughs) that i think chris plan did say that Uh, by critics and to be honest that is pretty accurate by the sounds of it he clearly like he did have some faith some religious faith from his dad um, and with his music but then he was sort of really well known for writing these really sort of this kind of cheeky challenging music and internationally yeah internationally renowned as being the epitome of kind of French charm and wit. Oh. So, yeah, this half-month-half-naughty-boy image really seems to stick. And, and I also, um, like, Sati was, like, quite a strange fellow as well. So I think oh, like if you're mates it. with him, I, yeah. you've got to be a bit of center do you know what was also – he kind of had these – he had this weird relationship with Sati, which I'll talk about later. But he mm. also – and I didn't have time to mention it um, – had quite a strange friendship with uh, my composer boyfriend, Ravel. Ah. Um, Because Ravel was kind of annoyingly impressed by Poulenc's talent and his kind of musical storytelling. And they would have these really serious, obviously really pretentious uh, discussions about music. And Ravel would basically say how much he loved the composers that Poulenc thought were really crap. Um, And so Poulenc was like, "Mm, he's so talented, but he has such bad taste. Uh, And he kind of went to Satie and he was like, oh, no, what, what should I think about this? And Sati, and I quote, said that Ravel talked a load of rubbish. <laughs> so, um, then Poulant kind of lost all respect for Ravel's music. How dare he? Uh, but kind of still respected him as a as a dude. And, oh, like a yeah, friend it, who has really ter- terrible taste in men, and you're right. like. Yeah. okay i'll like, stick oh, by you but exactly what but are you doing not right, gonna mate? not slightly lost respect it was that kind of vibe mm-hmm. so that's just a, a fun little tidbit but Ooh. he was also yeah really good friends with sati he made some stunning orchestrations of sati's music as well which i will definitely put in the um spotify playlist because they're so so beautiful but let's just get on with it let's talk yeah. about our first piece lads yeah. i want to so, hear it yeah i i thought we'd start with the kind of light-hearted fun side that launched Poulenc into fame and that was really with his first ballet Les Biches which loosely translates to the does like (laughs) a female Uh, (laughs) deer or the darlings although written down looks much ruder and sort of translates also to prostitute but anyway Ah. we'll just moving swiftly but it's about Uh, deer it's well, a ballet well. about deer? No, just you wait, oh, Sasha. You, you just wait. I'm jumping the gonna, gun. Okay. It's going to surprise you. Uh, so I don't know if you guys remember uh, a Russian chap called Sergei Diaghilev, the same Diaghilev who commissioned the Rite of Spring and the Firebird from Stravinsky and tons of amazing ballet music from, from the great composers. So he was the proprietor of the Russian ballet. And in 1921 he dropped Poulenc a line saying, what up? Uh, And he wanted music for a ballet that hilariously had been written by a fashion designer, a recipe for disaster. And it was because the fashion designer then like immediately dropped out. So that was good. And then instead of Poulenc being like, oh, I should probably get like a story for this. He said, and this is a quote, I have a clear conception off my ballet, which will have no subject, <laughs> simply oh. dances and songs. So that's what he did. He basically ignored the need for a storyline or a narrative and set about just writing like bits and bobs wow. to which like young ladies would dance. So it was essentially just an overture followed by eight random movements. So, and I'm yeah. really putting myself out there, Kelly, but I struggle with ballet
1: at the best of times well
0: well just wait just wait because so there was also doesn't have a plot i'd be like okay. oh i know tell me about it but it was there's also like a weird offstage choral narration element what? <laughs> to it uh which came about because he was like in france's national library and he found some like slightly rude obscene 18th century text and he was like yeah <laughs> this will do for the <laughs> offstage coordination. anyway um after its premiere in 1924 it was this massive success and and propelled poulenc to international fame sadly though as i mentioned in the 60 seconds poulenc made loads of cool hipster new friends Ooh. uh one of which was a lad called louis Laloy, um who was a music critic whom Satie <laughs> So it just absolutely reminds me hated. of like the Christmas carol Lula Lula. Lula Lula yeah. Lula. Which is an absolute <laughs> banger but this yeah. was he was less of a banger um, but yeah so he was this music critic um and Satie hated him I I don't really know why Satie hated him I know that like Louis Leloy had written a book about Satie and probably just insulted Satie's <laughs> works probably in in yeah. written form sometime Anyway because of this Poulenc's uh, and Sati's relationship just broke down with oh, some no. really angry letters and just total like high school levels of pettiness, oh. <laughs> for example. So Satie sent this angry letter to Poulenc about all his rubbish new mates, like saying that he really didn't approve of it. And like a re- in a really horrible way as well, because like one of Poulenc's other friends wrote this like bad review for um, Sati's ballet. Um, And then basically, yeah, Sati just went off on Poulenc with all these letters. And then Poulenc, sort of angry about this, um, sent Sati a child's rattle with a bearded head on it that looked like (laughs) Saty, which was essentially just like the old style way of unfollowing someone on Instagram. It must have been. I'm just imagining like, you know, all Poulenc's new friends with their cigarettes and
1: their beanie, their berets. Exactly. Their their berets.
0: (laughs) Berets, yeah. And they're all in
1: cafes and they're like... He doesn't
0: even know how to. Write. I don't. Know, I can't do a exactly. French accent. But like no, just well, being no. really catty. But yeah. also though, to like let's just give this a little caveat. Sati was a bit of a twat because mm. this is the same Sati who had sent an insulting letter to Debussy as Debussy lay dying on his deathbed. <laughs> so he clearly wasn't that great a friend. And it know? also didn't wasn't Sati like
1: a massive hoarder, and they found like a whole extra piano under the stuff in his apartment. I'm pretty. When when he sure, died? Yes, and
0: I'm I'm also sure that it was Sati that carried a hammer around with him everywhere for self-defense. Yeah, okay, so like, we're not, not even we're joking. not gonna use
1: him as like a
0: baseline <laughs> for normal human behaviour. <laughs> really not. Okay, really not.
1: But Good. anyway Noted.
0: shall shall we hear a oh, rather yeah, jolly piece to. from Le I'm excited. It.
1: pretty fun you know it? it's pretty light-hearted it makes me think of like famous five goes to the beach right. you know everyone's on the train we're all going through the ticket turnstiles and oh where's mary where's john i've got to sit in my seat like it's got that real like there are
0: pirates every yeah the yeah, beginning of the story is about to happen everyone's it happy. reminds me it reminds me of that like almost jokey classical like leroy anderson music, yes. like, like the typewriter voice. Yes. Um, yes. But like, it's just, you can understand why he was considered this kind of light, cheeky... Larrikin kind of vibe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like it was just, it's kind of harmless. I have no idea what was going on in that scene in the ballet i don't know they were just must have been dancing around there's clearly there is no storyline so i can't tell you what's going on um but i imagine there was a lot of you know pirouetting yeah but it's catchy prancing. i've got that in my head like <laughs> yeah. yeah he had a real gift for melody like he, and and yeah it's a real theme throughout all his his works like he has all these little hooks like, here and there. And, and this is definitely one of his... I think this is probably one of his better known pieces, okay. to be honest. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I just thought, let's start from the beginning, lads. And so what we actually just heard was Poulenc's revised orchestration, by the way, of the ballet in suite form. Because um, in 1940, he gave it this total do-over and made the vocal parts optional, <laughs> which is probably <laughs> for the best. Because the weird, like, rude 18th century text, choral offstage narration might have potentially ruined it. But, um, mm. yeah, I, I, I highly suggest you go and listen to that suite, And, uh, yeah, tell me what you think. I've really liked it. I'm definitely going to go listen to it. That classical podcast. Next! <laughs> uh, I found it so difficult to choose this second piece uh, for Pmeister. P-Meister. Honestly, I find that listening to every single piece by Poulenc is, like, panning for gold in a great spot for panning for gold. Like you're listening and you know the gold is on the way and you know it's going to be a big juicy nugget and you're just like sifting away and you're just loving it. Do you know what, what I mean? A
1: metaphor, what a metaphor, Kelly. What a metaphor. That's so stupid. So you've
0: got, on your, you've
1: got on the boat, you've head to the gold rush, right. you've, you've got, got your, your pan, Do you know you've what got I your mean? brush, and you're like, yeah. I'm going to be rich. I know I I'm going to be rich. just know
0: there's going to be loads of nuggies. You know? Yeah. Nuggies? Don't know what that is. Anyway, I love, I love his organ concerto. I love his weird choral stuff. I love his woodwind stuff. But. Could not stop myself from listening to his piano concerto over and over oh. again. So here we are, um, and he'd he'd written for solo piano and orchestra in the twenties, and then he wrote this really, I'm going to say, interesting concerto for two pianos and orchestra okay. in 1932. Um, but this this one was the only kind of true solo piano concerto that he composed, and mm-hmm. interestingly. It was commissioned by the Boston Symphony Orchestra, the BSO, okay. uh, to restore relations between Paris and the USA after World War II. But unfortunately for Long, it wasn't really like a hit oh. uh, at all. So it didn't and restore relationships. At it did all. Well, I mean, I think people kind of like the the quotes that I saw said that people kind of enjoyed it out of. Pity, oh, which is no. a really rubbish. Um, I think he got pity applause. But hilariously, Poulenc blamed this not on himself, but on everybody listening to too much Sibelius. And that's why they didn't oh, like it. What a so, niche. What a niche. Darn you, person Sibelius,
1: to oh, I To guess, blame.
0: Was Sibelius living over there at that time? He must have been. Maybe, yeah. yeah and okay. his music was a bit more like rum pa I don't know, like yeah,
1: popular. Yeah, it's very, I guess Sibelius is like as far from Poulenc as you can get, really. Right, yeah.
0: And I think people thought that it wasn't kind of serious enough or something, because, mm. I mean, as a congenitor, <laughs> to be honest, we did see this already in Le that he kind of strung things together out of nothing. I think with this as well, it, it almost sounds like little snippets of melodies that he'd had written down in his chest of drawers for like a few years, kind of stitched together without much of a coherent overarching did, Yeah, I did a bit of a Jamie theme. Oliver as like bish bash bosh. Do you know what Here's I mean? a yeah. Here it is. And it kind of works, maybe. Uh, okay. But look... I love the second movement of this piano concerto but the first movement is better known and a total banger with which has many bangers within the banger it's another bangerception moment like so much of classical music but again it makes it so difficult to choose the right bit to play yeah. for you because that like three minutes in it goes seriously swooshy romantic vibes then six minutes in it's like Boom! Completely big boy pants brass scenario, <laughs> and like I just don't know. So, but I think look, we need to hear the beginning, okay? Because that is like the most famous melody. But only these are my terms. We're gonna hear the beginning only, Sasha. If you and everyone listening promises me that you'll listen to the whole thing in your own time as homework, I pinky do you press. promise? I do you solemnly I swear? Am holding my finger up to the sky. Okay, and... <laughs>
1: It's pinky promising
0: okay. that that, that is, is gonna happen that's all yeah. I ask I hope all of you wherever you are put that pinky swear okay <laughs> here we go here it is okay Thoughts? What's going through your head right now? I think Sasha?
1: it's. I think he's quite cinematic in that, like, yeah. You know when you watch a film and like, if you if it's a, especially if it's a bad film and you tune into yeah. the music, and you'll hear how rapidly the mood changes have to happen because you know of what's happening yeah. on screen, and that sure, to yeah. me feels like I'm not saying that's not like a bad film, but I'm saying that it has that rapid change of pace that you. <sighs> often yes. here in film scores I mean obviously I, it's really well done and it's mm. the instrumentation and the orchestration blah 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 is so much more interesting but it has that real silent movie 1920s feel to to me so yeah I, that's what so I kind of think you say that
0: I think it's a kind of theme with all things Poulenc that it's really melodic mm. and like swooshy at certain points and then it's like boom Now it's weird and different, and then it goes nice and tuneful, and then it's like bam, and now it's weird again. And that makes sense because he was this huge, huge Stravinsky nut, and Mm. I feel like that's off. That's kind of a Stravinsky thing as well, where it's like lulling you into false sense of security, and then it's like don't, don't, yeah, exactly. Like it's a real like Stravinsky move. So I feel like that's clearly who he like based some of his style on. And as I said before, yeah, it totally makes sense what you say because it and and people agreed that it did feel like it was just random like bits that had yeah. been like stuck together um but I just thought as a melody that was catchy as well like you'll be humming these things all day I hope
1: mm. I think and I think and also like on stage if you went and saw that that'd be really interesting yeah. like you'd be captivated exactly. the whole time yes
0: exactly exactly and yeah I mean look I I can't help myself. I save absolutely everything I hear by Poulenc. Like, I can't not yeah. save it to my library. Just like with Ravel, clearly got a thing for Frenchmen. Apologies to my British boyfriend. Uh, and the Ruskies as well. I just love those Russians too. But um, look, if you enjoyed what you heard today from Poulenc, like, just, he has so much different... He's He's got this really eclectic mm. array of works and he's also quite famous for his like woodwind stuff as well like he's got these, these beautiful like oboe sonatas clarinet sonatas um his choral stuff is super weird and cool um, and also some of it's really beautiful he's got he's got a look i know i said before that i didn't love the organ but actually his organ concerto is oh. just great. I've got so much time for the organ now, oh. thanks to saint I'm going to have to um, listen
1: to all of it, Kelly. Yeah,
0: I'll put, like, all of this stuff in the Spotify library because I, I do think he's underappreciated, Yeah, <laughs> to be honest. Like, I think he's such a cool composer that was kind of overshadowed. Because, and again, I said in the 60 seconds, like, when he kind of had got on a bit, you know, in his 50s yeah. or whatever everyone was into like Schoenberg and like all this like yeah. modern kind of classical music was happening and the young cool composers thought he was kind of over. Uh, oh, as it that happened so many. That, What happened yeah. to Massenet as well is like at the end right. of his life
1: like Debussy started yeah. writing Pelleas and Mélisande, and everyone was like this is the new thing and like Masset's old hat and he, he was really confused
0: and sad and it made yeah. me Aww. sad. I know, like these, these. Yeah. Uh, I just feel like it's a it's a theme though with, with the composers, like at the end of their era, they're just kind of yeah. old and crusty. We're all old at the end of the day, oh, okay. Kelly. <laughs> we well, that's enough. true. <laughs> that's true, especially since I'm rapidly approaching. We, can't, we can't all be the new shiny thing let's forever. Let's not talk about it. Oh. But yeah, so so that is Poulenc, And yeah, please, please go and discover more. And if you find anything amazing, send it to me and I'm definitely going to save it. So, there we go. That classical podcast. So, that was our uh, very French episode on Massenet and Poulenc, uh, recorded, I don't know if you realised, across time and space... And some C's, because Sasha's actually in Australia right now and and, and I'm and I'm in England. So I know the we mo- are.
1: the wonders of modern technology, modern technology. Kelly. Um, yeah,
0: thank you Yeah, as as
1: some people might know, not everyone, but um, I decided this year that it was time for me to go back to whence I came. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank you to the internet, it means that we can still keep making yeah. the the podcast but it does mean that you might find on our socials now that you'll be getting content at all different times of the day to when you're used to. So (laughs) if you follow us on Insta, which is at That Classical Insta, or on Twitter, at That Classical, we're on Facebook, That Classical Podcast, or our Patreon and Spotify um, pages are also going to be in the show notes. So make sure you click below and you'll see all the links to those things if you want to keep up to date with us when we're not dropping episodes into your subscription list
0: indeed and you know what if you've enjoyed the show today or any of our other shows we would love it if you'd leave us a cheeky little five star review on your podcast platform as always we really appreciate everyone who um writes a few words about us and we yeah we would love it if you would do that as well uh if not don't worry about it no no hard feelings yeah if it's not five just move on by just give it a (laughs) cheeky four but anyway we will see you next time take care everybody Bye. Bye. bye